0: Well, this morning we are continuing through the book of Philippians. We started it a couple weeks ago, and last week we had a wonderful Mother's Day, and now this morning we come to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 3 through 5. Depression tests these days are popular at doctor visits. A few weeks back, I Went to the doctor. The nurse had me fill out this sheet with some questions on it. I had to mark on a scale of zero to five how many of these things listed I had. Some of the things that were asked were how often do you have little or no interest in doing things? How often do you feel down, depressed, or hopeless? How often do you feel bad about yourself? How often do you have thoughts that you want to hurt or kill yourself? This obviously was a depression test. And I thought, well, how depressing is this test? (laughs) I wasn't depressed before, but just reading this now makes me depressed. But I filled it out, honestly, and I passed the test with zero. But if a doctor were to look at the circumstances of Paul's life and all the things that Paul was going through, the doctors would probably diagnose Paul with depression. Why do I say that? Well, he's writing this letter to the Philippians from jail in Rome after he was arrested for preaching the Gospel. And just listen to to Paul's records about his life. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, he says this, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, listen to his record, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. And it doesn't stop there. He goes on. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. If a doctor pulled up a record like that, he might conclude, this guy must be depressed. I mean, what a, a terrible life this man has lived, according to the world standards. And even in Philippians 1.23 he says but I am hard pressed from both directions having the desire to depart and be with Christ for that is very much better. Paul even opened up his heart to the Philippians and he said that his desire was to depart to die and be with Christ. And some might think well He must have been depressed if he desired to die. But in fact, Paul was not depressed. He was far from depression. His life was filled with joy. 2 Corinthians 6, after giving another record of the hardships of his life, Paul says in verse 9, We live as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful life. And yet he says, I am always rejoicing. Paul had much that he could have been sorrowful about in his life, right? Right? I mean, we just saw this list of all the things that Paul has gone through, the sorrow that he could have wallowed in in his life. But instead, he chose to rejoice and to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, which one of those is what? Joy. Joy. Now, when people think of joy, a lot of times people will think of happiness. Happiness. But happiness is something that comes and goes with circumstances. It comes and goes depending on our happenings. And it's related to pleasure or satisfaction. In fact, the Cambridge Dictionary defines happiness as feeling, showing, or causing pleasure or satisfaction. And the Greek word for pleasure is the word from which we get our word hedonism. Which is the philosophy of self-centered pleasure-seeking. Hedonism. So the, the feeling of happiness is something that is dependent on the circumstances and whether one finds pleasure in those circumstances. But joy is something different. What is joy? The Holman Bible Dictionary defines joy as a state of delight and well-being that results from knowing and serving God. It goes on and says, joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. It's not something people can create by their own efforts. And joy is actually a command in Scripture did you know that we are commanded by God to be joyful RC Sproul said over and over again the pages of the the idea of joy is as an imperative as an obligation Based on the biblical teaching, I would go so far as to say that it is the Christian's duty, his moral obligation to be joyful. In fact, Sproul goes on to say that failure of a Christian to be joyful is a sin. It's a sin. Because it's commanded of us in Scripture, right? Right? It's commanded by God for us to be joyful. In fact, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and look at verse 4. We know that one of the themes of this letter to the Philippians is joy. Paul talks a lot about joy in this letter. And look what he says in Philippians 4.4. 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say what? Rejoice. Both times Paul says rejoice, those are imperatives, those are commands. And when are we supposed to rejoice? Always. Always. A life of joy. No matter what the circumstances, what are we to do? Rejoice. We're to have joy in our life. So, how can someone remain joyful? Well, notice what the key is in this verse. Not just rejoicing, but notice. Rejoice how? Rejoice in the Lord. We're to rejoice in the Lord. The key to joy in the Christian life is the source of joy, the Lord. He's the source of our joy. And listen, our relationship with Christ is not dependent upon our circumstances. Did you get that? Our relationship with Christ is not dependent upon our circumstances. We are always in Christ and He is always in us. We've been redeemed. We've been saved by Him. We are in Christ. And Christ is in us. That's the relationship that we have. Our relationship with Christ is not dependent upon our circumstances. And so when should we then be rejoicing? Always. Always. You see, it doesn't depend upon our circumstances, but it's based upon the fact that you and I are in Christ. That we are in the Lord. Which means that even when we go through hard times, through trials, through sorrow, through grief in our life, we can still rejoice in Christ. Because we're in Him. And Paul modeled that for the believers at Philippi. And he modeled it for us as well. It didn't matter what circumstances he was in, in hunger, in dangers, being shipwrecked, tired, beaten to the point of death, or locked up in jail, he still had joy in the Lord. And we're going to see that this morning as we work our way through verses three through five of Philippians chapter one. And so please turn over. To chapter 1. Follow along as I read our text for us here this morning. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now you'll notice in verse 3 that Paul starts off with, I thank my God. And then he tells us in verse 4 that he does this in the context of his prayer life. He's offering thanks to God as he's praying. As we're going to see in verses 3 through 11, this is one long prayer for the Philippians. You can see down in verse 9, look at what it says down in verse 9. Notice what he says there at the beginning. And this I pray. He's praying. It's it's one long prayer. It's one long prayer for the believers in Philippi. And how did Paul pray? Look what he says in verse 4. Always offering prayer with joy. This was a joy-filled man. A joy-filled man who desired for this church to be filled with joy. And he modeled it In his prayer for them. And this morning, I want us to look at this joyful prayer of Paul and look at the components of what joyful prayer looks like in verses three through four. And then we're gonna look at the cause for this joyful prayer in verse five. We're gonna look at the components of this joyful prayer and then the cause of this joyful prayer. So let's begin first with the components. The components. Let's begin with our first component. Component number one, joyful prayer is thankful prayer. Joyful prayer is thankful prayer. Look at how he begins in verse 3. I thank my God. Paul was very thankful for the believers in Philippi. He was thankful for what God had done in their lives and what God was continuing to do in their lives. Notice as Paul begins his prayer, he didn't start off with needs. God, you know that I need this. God, you know that I need that. He started his joyful prayer with thanksgiving. So often, you and I can go to God with all the needs that we have and never thank God for what He's already given to us. We want to have a joyful prayer life. We need to be thankful in our praying. Grateful for what God has done in our lives. Grateful for what He's doing now and what He's done in the past. And grateful for what God is going to do in the future. I also want you to notice that Paul did not start off with being thankful for possessions. Notice that. He started off by being thankful for people. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You Philippians. You people. Paul was thankful for people. Are you thankful for people in your prayer life? People that God has brought into your life? People that God has brought into your life in your past? People that God has currently in your life? Are you thankful to God for those people? Both people who might be trouble for you and people who are a blessing to you? Are you thankful for them? You see, Paul was not thankful for a perfect church. As Paul is giving thanks to God for this church, for these people in this church, he's not saying, I thank you for the Philippian believers who are perfect. No problems in their life. There were some problems in these people's life, they weren't perfect. Specifically, there were two women in the church who were fighting. Chapter 4, and verse 2, he says, I urge Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. You've got two women in this church who are fighting with one another. And you even see in chapter 2 where Paul has to even encourage them. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affliction, uh, affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Being united. Maintaining the same love. United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. You need to come together and be united because there's divisions that are going on there. Were they a perfect church? No. But was he thankful for every single person in that church? Well, you bet he was. Even the ones that caused trouble. He was thankful for them. It didn't matter to Paul that he's got Yodia and Syntyche who are fighting in the church. To him, these are sisters in the Lord. And no matter what they were going through, he was still thankful for them and for all of those who were in this church. Joyful prayer is thankful prayer and it's filled with thanksgiving for others second joyful prayer is personal prayer joyful prayer is personal prayer now this is not personal prayer in the sense that he was praying for himself but notice what he says there he says I thank my God my God he was praying to a personal God whom he knew, and God knew him. There was a relationship that he had there. He knew the God of the universe. He had a, a deep personal relationship with him. Have you ever had an unbeliever tell you that they're praying for you? I have. And I think about Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. It really means nothing to me when an unbeliever says that they're praying for me. Because I know that that person doesn't know God. They don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't know the saving grace of God. They don't have a saving relationship with Him. And so their prayers just go up. But when a believer tells me that they are praying for me, there is great comfort and great joy knowing that they are going before the one true God to offer up prayers for me. I know that they have, as a brother or sister in Christ, they have a deep relationship with Christ. They know Him. They worship the same God that I worship. We're united in Christ. And there's joy knowing that they are going before the throne room of God to pray for me. There's comfort in that. There's joy in that. Knowing that we worship the one true God together. Whereas an unbeliever may be praying to who knows what God they're praying to, some God made up in their mind. But because we have been changed by the power of the Gospel and its transforming work in our lives, when we are praying, we are praying to our God. To a personal God. To my God. And it's even right for you to say that you are praying to my God. You can say that. Paul said it. (laughs) Tell people that you're praying to your God. I love it on Wednesday nights before Bible study. My office is right next to the conference room where the prayer team meets to pray for all of the prayer requests that you put in every week. Every one of those prayer requests that comes in, there is a team of people that are praying for you every week. And I know that as they are gathered together in that conference room praying, every one of those prayers is going to heaven, to the throne room of God. And God is listening to every one of those because those are his children who are praying to him. And it's, it's sweet. And joyous to know that God is hearing every one of those prayers. Every prayer that his children offer up. God is hearing those. And Paul was able to pray to his God, even in the midst of his circumstances, because of the joy that filled his heart from knowing God. There was a deep personal relationship that he had with God. He had been changed by God. He had received God's grace and God's mercy. And he knew that even though he was in prison in Rome, and the Philippian believers were over in Philippi, some 800 miles away, he knew that he could pray to God, and God would hear his prayer requests for those believers. And he prayed with a joyful heart to God. He prayed with joy because his prayer was personal. It was out of a a deep love. Out of a deep relationship that he had with his God. And he knew that the same God who saved him was the same God who saved the Philippians. And there was joy knowing that God was hearing his prayers as he focused his prayer for the Philippians, to God. And so joyful prayer is thankful prayer. Joyful prayer is personal prayer. Third component of joyful prayer is, it is mindful prayer. It is mindful prayer. Look at what Paul says at the end of verse 3. In all my remembrance of you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. What brought Paul joy in his prayer life? Remembering these believers. Remembering them. Now, what's amazing is that from the time that Paul first met the believers in Philippi to the time of him writing this letter, there's been about 10 years that has passed. He planted the church in Philippi on his second missionary journey. And he visited them again briefly on his third missionary journey. And he's thankful to God for all that God had done through this church. And he calls them to mind. He remembers them. He remembers what God did there at this church. He remembers going to that prayer meeting down by the river with some Jewish women. Being in jail with Silas. Then going to the jailer's house where he and his household heard the gospel and were saved. That comes to Paul's mind. He remembers these Philippian believers. He remembers them. He remembers how generous this church was by sending a gift to him. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1, we read this. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. It's where Philippi is. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Paul remembers this giving church and the sacrifice that they went through to give to Paul and to the other churches. Paul received the gift from them and he remembered their sacrificial giving for the cause of the gospel. Paul had wonderful memories of this church. Now was this church perfect? No, as we already saw, it wasn't a perfect church. It had its problems. But that didn't stop Paul from having joyous thoughts about these believers. He always thought the best of them. And he knew that in order to have joyous prayer for them, he needed to recall all of the wonderful things that God was doing in their lives. See, so often we can get caught up in the negative aspects of people's lives. And all of the negative things about them. And then when we go to pray, they're the last people that we'll pray for. Right? Because we don't have positive thoughts about them, we've got negative thoughts about them. But when we think good, loving, and caring thoughts about others, then our desire will be to pray for them. And we will be filled with joy as we do pray for them. Rejoicing in what God is doing in their lives. One commentator says this. A natural way of thinking. Notice that a natural way of thinking about other people leads to praise for their favors and criticism for their faults. But Paul's thinking about the Philippians is not divided in this way between praise and criticism. All of his thinking about them causes Paul to thank God. And he rejoices for them and what God is doing in their life. This is Paul's heart. And his mind was for the Philippians as he joyously prayed for them. wasn't divided between praise for them and criticism of them. He had loving thoughts of them that drove him to be thankful to God for them and cause great joy in his praise and prayer for them because he loved them and he cared for them. And he had wonderful thoughts of them. And so joyful prayer is thankful prayer. Joyful prayer is personal prayer. Joyful prayer is mindful prayer. the fourth component of joyful prayer is it is selfless prayer. It is selfless prayer. Look at verse 4. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for who? You all. For you all. Look at how often Paul says you in this prayer. Follow along with me. I want to show you this. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Verse 4. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel. Verse 6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you. Verse 7, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness how long... How I long for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound still more. And verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. You, you, you all. His prayer was about you, others. It was outward focused. His prayer was all about them. His focus was for them in his prayer. It was Godward and it was others focused. And look at how often he prayed for them. Look at the beginning of verse 4. Notice what it says there. Always. Always. This shows the frequency of his prayer for them. Now, was the church at Philippi the only church that, that, that Paul prayed for? No. He prayed for other churches. He prayed for other people as well. But whenever he was reminded about the Philippians, he began to pray for them. That's what he's saying there. It's talking about the frequency of his prayer for them. That every time you come to my remembrance, every time my mind goes to you Philippian believers, I just rejoice and I pray for you. And whenever he began to pray for them, it brought him great joy. Because there's great joy in interceding before the throne of God for someone else, right? Paul delighted in that. He didn't want his whole prayer life to be focused on him. He wanted it focused on others. Look, he knew that there were other people that were out there that were praying for him. He knew that. He knew that the Philippians were praying for him. He knew that the church at Corinth was praying for him. He knew that Philemon was praying for him, as we saw this last week. He knew this, that there were people that were praying for him. And so what did he do when he went to his knees and began to pray? What was his focus in his prayer? For others. He began to pray for other people. Now, did he ask for prayer from other people? Yes, he did. He did ask. He had prayer requests. He went before other churches and other people and said, please pray for me. What were his prayer requests? Let me just give you a few of these. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, he asked the Ephesians to pray that he would have boldness in proclaiming the gospel. In Colossians 4.3, he asked for prayer that God would open a door for him to preach the gospel. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he asked for prayer that the word of the Lord would spread. In Romans 15.31, he asked for prayer to be rescued from his enemies so that he could go and visit the believers in Rome and be encouraged by them and encourage them so that they could use their spiritual gift to edify him and he could use his spiritual gift to edify them. Whenever we see Paul himself Praying for his own needs, it was never for something personal. But it was always for the benefit of other people. For example, First Thessalonians 3.9, he says this, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? Notice this. Paul is a man who's filled with What? joy rejoicing over them rejoicing over other believers rejoicing over the believers in Thessalonica he goes on and he says as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith that's his prayer his prayer was for them that we can get to you that we can come and see you because we want to strengthen you we want to encourage you, Thessalonians. He wanted to encourage them and to edify them. Listen, Paul was a selfless prayer. He was selfless. Reading a book this week, I came across an acrostic for joy. That I think is helpful for us. Joyce, we were to break it down. Joyce stands for this Jesus, others, yourself. Jesus, others, yourself. So many times we lack joy in our life because we reverse that. It's yourself and then others and then Jesus. And a lot of people lack joy in their life because it's all about them. It's them focused. Instead of Jesus focused and then others focused. And then if I have some time, I'll, I'll pray for myself. And yet so often we, including myself, will start off our prayers focused on me and my needs. Now I'm not saying that it's wrong to bring your request before the Lord. We can do that. That we would find a lot more joy in praying if we began to pray more for other people and less for ourselves. Listen, give your requests to other people. Drop those requests in the offering bag as it comes around. Write them out. Put your requests down. Drop them in there and let somebody else pray for you because they are. I promise you they are. There's a whole team of people that are praying for your needs, for everything that you drop in there. Every prayer request goes up to the throne room of God. Let those people pray for you. Give your request to others. Let them pray for you. And then you spend time on praying for others and watch the joy just radiate in your prayer life. It did in Paul's prayer life. Because he always offered prayer with joy in every prayer for the Philippians. And he modeled that for them. He models it for us. And he modeled it for them. Why? Why would Paul model this for this church at Philippi? Because this church was a praying church. This was a praying church. And he knew that. He knew that the Philippians loved to pray. How did he know? Where did the church begin? At a prayer meeting down by the river. That's the beginnings of the church. Some women who were there praying. And they come in and they share the Gospel. And they get saved. What do you think those women continue to do? To pray. Because it was in their heart. They loved to pray. This was a praying church. Look over at verse 19 of chapter one. Look at what it says there. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He knows that they're praying. My deliverance is going to come as you are praying. I know that you are a praying church. Keep praying for me. He knew that they loved to pray. And he modeled joyful prayer to this church. And so we can see that it was these components, thankfulness, a personal prayer, a mindful prayer and selfless prayer that brought great joy in Paul's prayer life. And if we begin to pray this way, watch and see how it will bring great joy in your life as well. Well, what's the cause? Those are the components of his joyful prayer. What's the cause of this joyful prayer for these Philippians? Well, look at what he says in verse 5. He says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Oh, We can take those, those two words, in view, and we can say, because... Because, this is, this is the reason for Paul's joyful prayer, because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, I rejoice. My heart is filled with joy because of your participation. As I lift up prayer requests before the Lord for you people, my heart is filled with joy because you have been participants in the gospel with me from the first day until now. It brought Paul great joy and thankfulness to know that the Philippian church was participating in the Gospel with him. Listen, Paul wasn't out there as a lone ranger trying to spread the Gospel. He had teammates. He had teammates. He had companions. He had comrades who were there with him in this mission. Maybe not physically there with him in Rome, although he did have them as well. But he knew that these Philippian believers over in Philippi were praying for him and meeting his needs and they were participating with him in the Gospel. Notice that, that word participation. That word participation in the Greek is the word koinonia. Koinonia. And it means Fellowship. Fellowship. There was great fellowship, even though they were eight hundred miles away. There was great fellowship with these believers in Philippi, as they participated with him, fellowshipped with him, in the cause of the gospel. That word koinonia speaks of of a close relationship involving mutual interests and sharing. Paul knew that the Philippian church had a mutual interest in the gospel with him. There was a mutual interest in spreading the gospel. One translation says it this way, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. That's the idea there behind participation, that they are partners with Paul in the gospel. When did this partnership begin? Notice what he says there. On the first day. At that prayer meeting. Down by the river with these women in Acts 16.13. That was the first day that the gospel arrived in Philippi. And as those Jewish women were down there by the river praying. Because there was no synagogue in Philippi. Paul and his companions show up. They preach the gospel to these women. And they get saved. Then the jailer gets saved. Him and his whole household, they get saved. And from that very moment up until Paul was writing this letter, some 10 years later, this church hasn't given up on the mission. The Philippians didn't give up. They haven't thrown in the towel Even though Paul is not there with them, they still had the message of the gospel and they were focused on preaching it and living it out. Even if that means to suffer for it, as we see in chapter 1 and verse 29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. He even knew all the suffering that they were going for the cause of the gospel. And they've suffered just as Paul suffered. But they didn't give up. They participated. They were active participants in the spread of the gospel. Even persecution wouldn't stop them from being active, actively involved in spreading the gospel. They were participants, partners, companions with him in the gospel. And Paul knew this and it brought him great joy. Isn't it a joy and a blessing to know that you're not alone in this world as you live for Christ? I'll tell you what, this is the most joyful time of the entire week, right here. Because I look around at all of my brothers and sisters in Christ who worship the same God, who are living for Christ, and it brings great joy. This is the most joyous time of the week. Not only do we have Christ who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, but we even have brothers and sisters in Christ who love us and care for us and pray for us. Fellow believers who are partners with us in the gospel. Well, what are some ways that you and I can be partners in the gospel? Is it only standing behind a pulpit and preaching the word? Is that the only way to be a a partner and involved in spreading the gospel? Come back next week and you'll find out. Let's pray. Father, we have much to learn from this joy-filled man The Apostle Paul, who was filled with joy because he walked in the Spirit. Because he loved you. Because he loved your church. Because he loved the gospel. Father, we know that when we are focused upon you and focused upon others, oh, it brings great joy in our lives. Father, I pray that you would help us to be joyful believers that we would be obedient to the command that you've given to us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. May we be joy-filled people, joy-filled believers who are living in a, in a world that is joyless and hopeless. And as they see the joy that, that we have in our lives, may we reflect Christ to them. And point them to the only hope, the only source of joy, our Savior Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You for Christ who is the source of our joy. We thank You for His perfect life, for His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And that through the payment that He made for us on that cross, through faith in Him, alone we have hope we have an e- eternal hope we have a hope and a joy that no one can take away from us not the circumstances of our life not persecutions not beatings nothing can take away that hope and that joy that we have in christ father play, may you mold and and shape our hearts to be joy-filled people, obedient to your commands as we live for you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.